Welcome to the Being Human podcast, brought to you by Relate Malaysia. Join us in our conversations about what makes us human and why we think and behave in the ways that we do. We'll talk about mental health, emotional well-being, and how we can sometimes feel on top of the world, and other times like life calls for a large tub of ice cream and a big spoon. So come on in, relax, and let's explore this puzzle of being human together. Hello and welcome to a special Turn the Tables episode of the Being Human podcast. As regular listeners will know, this is not Dr. Chua Suk Ning. My name is Sandy Clark, and for this episode, I thought it might be fun to shine the spotlight on Dr. Chua, who is very well known as the tireless driving force behind the valuable work of Relate Malaysia. So welcome to your Being Human podcast, Dr. Chua. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. On your own show, it's, it's, it's a pleasure. On my own show. <laughs> yeah. uh, before we jump into to all the good stuff, when we get to talking about um, you know your journey and your work with Relate Malaysia, how has this past year been for you and the team? I know it's been very difficult in general for people throughout the world with the, the COVID-19 outbreak and all that stuff. But in terms of uh, the work with Relate Malaysia and what you've been doing, has there been any uh, particular highlights or achievements or challenges that you've been reflecting upon lately? In recent history, there's never been uh, such a widespread outbreak. And I think it's it has been challenging for my team, you know, Relate Malaysia, for myself and, and just my family. We haven't met for um, mm-hmm. over a year. We usually meet every couple of months. I would imagine over the, the, the past year, uh, there would have been a surge in people looking for your services and support and taking advantage of the, the services that Relate offers. Has it been quite difficult to, to keep up with that? Absolutely. Uh, we went from, I think, an average one client um, signing up a day, like one or two, to sometimes about five people a day wanting uh, psychological services. So it has been, personally for me, I'm been burdened, um, not burdened in a way of it fatigued me, I think, but just burdened with the responsibility that so many people are needing help and, and there's so few avenues for, for help in Malaysia. So there's this responsibility of, of trying to reach as many people as possible, but at the same time, really making sure that our therapists don't burn out themselves, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's a it's a it's a tricky balance. You, you know, on one hand, you have the community suffering, but you don't want your own team who is trying to help the community to be less effective because they're so tired and they're so burned out. And, and so they need to be supported, too. So we're trying to support both the community as well as um, our team. And it must be quite a, a difficult balance to strike, especially with with everything that's going on. And and I, I think as you touch upon, it's, it's often quite um something that's overlooked that therapists themselves are, are just as human as everyone else and, you know, sort of vulnerable to the challenges that these kind of times bring. Um, but as, as some of your listeners may or may not know, you've been a, a three-time TEDx speaker over the years and, and you're a very well-known advocate for uh, mental health education, policy and services. And when you reflect back over the years, you know, from the, your days as a student, let's say, what inspired you toward clinical psychology in the first place and, and then later on the work that you're now doing through Relate Malaysia? 
The way you say three-time speaker makes it sound as if I've won awards three times. The three-time Academy Award winner. <laughs> um, um, you know, as a child, I think psychology, I mean, just generally psychology to me, it's the most fascinating discipline of all times because it's it's not about the outside world. It's really about us. You know, it's a discipline that you can carry with you because essentially you are always your own subject and then you're always also observing uh, everyone else. So my, my very early introduction to psychology, I think as a child and my mom was a homemaker for a while. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking home with her from kindergarten and just observing the one. I think those conversations were very influential on what I paid attention to and the way she responded to my questions. And I think you know, all children are naturally inquisitive and curious about the world. Mm-hmm. And it's always that question of why and how and, you know, why do people react that way? And why did this person say that? And how come this person did that? And she was very patient with all my questions and very reflective on that. And so, you know, that, that hunger for understanding and that curiosity was always satisfied and encouraged. Um, mm. So that's, that's my great love of psychology. Um, people are fascinating, you know, <laughs> eternally fascinating. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. we never come to a full understanding. And I think that's the mark of a good therapist, you know, that constant curiosity. You have a hypothesis, but you, you don't go into a session going, I know it all. You know, mm-hmm. like I know who you are, Mr. Clark. You know, <laughs> this is your this is your story. You know, that that's that's such an arrogance and that, that you don't want to bring in. You want to bring in, you know, sort of that humble curiosity, but you want to bring in your your set of expertise to go, yeah, I I know some things and I have some hypotheses um that I want to direct the session. Mm, yeah. Um so you know, just just psychology and people in general are very interesting and mental health, I think, more and more so. I think paying attention to people suffering and wanting to do something in this world that can use my knowledge. But it's interesting when you mentioned, you know, the conversations you had with your mother when you were when you were young and sparking that curiosity about people, about life in general. And um, one of the interesting things that sort of stand out for me when it comes to knowing about your work uh, well really there's two things one is that you seem to maintain this mindset of almost being a student of psychology regardless of your credentials regardless of your achievements and, and where you might go how much you might progress there's always still that spirit and mindset of, of curiosity which I think is is something that's really quite inspiring and through your your TED talks and through your own um, public talks and, and teachings as well you've been quite open and frank about your your own struggles with uh, depression and the challenges that come with recognizing that, that you were in fact depressed, which as you mentioned, was something that you weren't quite ready to admit to yourself early on. And and I think like when it comes to psychologists, th- there's a bit of a, a strange misconception that, you know, if you're a clinical psychologist or a mm-hmm. psychiatrist, then somehow you're impervious or immune to uh, mental health issues. And I think one of the one of the ways that your your work is so powerful in terms of getting the message across is because you have shared so openly and honestly about your own experiences. And I'm just wondering, especially within, say, the cultural context where mental health is still sort of taboo to a degree. Some people don't like the idea of talking about it. 
So was the decision to share your own story, keeping in mind the cultural views of mental health, was that a difficult one to arrive at? Like, what was the inspiration that drove you to, to put your story out there? When I was depressed, I could feel in myself a, a great reluctance to seek help, certainly among my peers, you know, Malaysia is a small community and you may not feel comfortable with someone, you know, a peer knowing that you have an issue. And so that really, I think, I think that fear of being judged and being seen in a certain way hindered uh, my help seeking um, behaviors. When I recovered from depression, or I guess in the process of recovery, I really put my life on on pause and and you know I was in academia well I'm still in academia and, and with in academia you have this idea that you know you finish a PhD and you go on to your postdoc and and then you go uh, be an assistant prof and be an associate prof and then you're a professor and then ta-da, you've mm-hmm. kind of reached the pinnacle of your life. I had that mindset for the past ten years and after the depression I I guess I felt I had nothing to lose. You know, that I was sort of chasing this ideal and because of the depression, things weren't really working out. I mean, I looked back at the work I did and, you know, at that time I was doing my best. But now that I look back at it, I could I can really see that my writing wasn't that great. You know, I wasn't really focusing. All the symptoms of depression affected me in a way I wasn't even conscious about. As I was recovering from depression, I... Um, I asked myself, if I could do anything, what would I want to do? So that was sort of, I guess, my my permission to myself not to be constrained by what the perhaps typical path is for, you know, someone someone in academia or, or not what I, I think is the most approved path or the most expected. And And I was really struck by this idea of legacy. Not because, actually, it's because I watch Hamilton. (laughs) 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 Um, But, you know, just this idea that, like, our life is so short. And when we pass, what are we leaving behind? And I'm not that narcissistic. Just maybe a little to think that we can make a difference. But, you know, it's just at the end of the day, you know, like, you can do so much. And really, as the years go by, your name just becomes... If you're if you're fortunate, if you've done something great, you know, in the history books, you know, maybe you get mm-hmm. a statue. But generations pass, and nobody would know you, you know. So it's not so much about getting your name known, but it's like, but if you could have an impact on society, even when you're gone, that impact could continue um, long after you pass. So, you know, I think that really set the the direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, for my life and to like, oh, I don't need to just keep publishing articles. <laughs> you know, I don't need to just do what's maybe typical. And what I wanted to do as I um, looked into mental health more as part of like, yes, as a, a as a career, but also how come it's, it's so hard for people to get help? And oh, wow, you know, I found it hard to get help too. And I know you know, I've been, I'm so well educated. I mean, I'm so fortunate to receive uh, such education. And But other people, the information wasn't there. I mean, this is only four years ago. And, and you know, I've really seen this um, dramatic increase in um, 
accessible information and even the the, the public dialogue about mental health. But just mm-hmm. four years ago, not much. And I was like, that's crazy. And I initially, to be honest, I um, I approached people because I'm actually a an introverted individual. I didn't want to be a public face of anything. I just had this idea. I was like, we need, you know, we need to do something about it. This is wrong. And I was like, trying to get other people to do it. Because you're right, you know, I don't want to share my story necessarily. That's a risk. But uh, I soon realized that neither does anyone else. <laughs> like nobody wanted to to do it. And I think that nobody is as passionate as your idea as you are. So if you want a change, if you think that something needs to be different, nobody is going to be as passionate as that desire as you because you want it. And so, again, I, I really believe I'm very blessed to have a, a PhD to be educated. And with that comes that, you know, to some degree that um, platform to say, I've been depressed. And if anybody stigmatizes me, I can educate them on it very, very well. You mm-hmm. know, like I don't need to take the judgment, but so many people are not in that position, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so many people, you know, they could lose their jobs for it. Whereas I can turn it into my strength just because I'm a clinical psychologist and I can tell people, Hey, you know, if you think I'm I'm weak or you think I'm crazy or you think, you know, whatever you think, that's because you're prejudiced and, you you know, let me, I, I won't shame them, but, you know, I can educate them about their attitudes in a very empowered way that I think many members of the society can't. And so because I can, I should, you know, like, why wouldn't I, if I believe that this is wrong, then I have to take that first step. Yeah, it's that idea that why wait for somebody when you can be that somebody to get things done. And and quite interestingly, when you touched upon this idea that, you know, there's maybe some belief that mental ill health is something that befalls the less fortunate, the less educated. And if you look at figures such as Winston Churchill, Nelson Mandela, you mentioned Alexander Hamilton, all of those suffered from mental illness. So it really goes to show that mental health issues, they don't discriminate. And I think one of the, again, one of the, the the powerful effects of what you've been doing is that by sharing your story, especially within a, a, a time and a place where perhaps it's not common practice, it starts to encourage people to open up about their own story when they see someone like, like you who is well-educated, who is able to be you know highly productive, high achiever, all that good stuff. You know, they, they can start to get the point that look, this this is really something that can can happen to anybody. And not only does it happen, but it can also be managed and overcome as well. I think that's a really important point that some people overlook is this idea that once you have something wrong with you, quote unquote, that um, you know you can't really come back from that, which is of course uh, not the case. But you've you've helped to steer the conversation. Uh, on mental health in Malaysia over the past few years. And I think um, right up to the level of government and you've had some press appearances and you've been on radio and over the years, you've also cultivated this network of uh, collaborators that have included some of the biggest names in psychology. And you know, on a personal level, through all of this work that you're doing with collaborators in Malaysia and farther afield, um, what's the impact that you're looking to have? Um, I mean, you talked about legacy and you talked about creating something um, you know, in Malaysia, but I mean, on a personal level, what are you hoping that that leads to? I want mental health care to be accessible to everyone. I want everyone to be able to 
think about the concept of mental health in your everyday life and feel that it's as important as their uh, physical health and to actively take steps to work towards that. But you know, that very still very like I think vague <laughs> in some ways, like you know, kind of vague, um, abstract ideals. And it reflects, I think, that I don't know where where we can go. To be honest, you know, I think we're doing um, something that uh, in, in Malaysia has not been done before. We're trying to do something new. We're trying to talk about mental health in a way that's that isn't about you know trying to get everyone to come to our services. In fact, as I said, we have a long wait list, so it's not about like the money. It's not about the the profit is not about a name. It's just about like how can we create a more mentally healthy society, and what does that mean for each person? I think it, it means something very different. But on the social level, maybe that people understand what mental health is. On the social level, maybe there there are definitely more mental health professionals, and there's a shorter waiting list, and people can access it, and people won't feel ashamed about saying, "Oh, I I see a psychologist." And, and it starts with each one of us who have the knowledge, you know, it starts with me. And I like to talk a lot about my own personal therapy. One, because I, th- I think that personal therapy is just a, an amazing experience. But two, I, I just want to put it out there that we can just comment it and include it in part of our story without feeling ashamed. And how do we get there? There is no roadmap. So every... I think every day, every month, and every year, we're thinking, okay, we've gone this far. Um, where's the next step we got to go? And where's the next step we got to go? You know, so our, mm-hmm. our first step for, you know, for the next little while would be how do we get policymakers involved? You know, how do we show them that poor mental health is costly? You know, how do we show them that there are effective interventions that are cost effective? How do we show them how to do it you know so that's the next step for me anyway you know but then where do we keep going well we've got three aims research public education and service and we just keep going with those three directions just keep trying to do it better more effectively and who knows I I think that's the exciting part right like we can keep innovating and keep trying to do something that will be more and more helpful I think in that way, Relate Malaysia is really at the crow's nest of mental health in Malaysia in the sense that, like you say, you are taking mental health in directions that's, you know, in ways that's not really been done before and trying out new things and, and trying to push the envelope further across the table. And I suppose it's all about creating things from the, the bottom up, as you say, to at least create the awareness first, create the education um, and then get the policymakers in, involved in certain ways and, and then work toward accessible mental health services for everyone. And, you know, certainly if, if, if you look at mental health maybe 10 years ago, even in, in, in Malaysia, let's say, uh, it certainly seems to have come a long way since then. So, I mean, there's a lot of progress that has been made. And I think that um, organisations like Relate Malaysia and work done by um, politicians like Hannah Yeo, for example, have really helped to pave the way for greater awareness, greater education mm-hmm. and, and greater mental health services. And in terms of how we build toward that, I mean, do you have a sense? I mean, you said that really you're, you're kind of building it brick by brick as you go along. But do you have a sense or a vision at least of looking at the ideal 
where where does the the next step lead to or the next steps lead to for mental health in Malaysia what's what's the next thing that needs to be focused on I mean one of the things that uh, that has been going on for quite a while is this idea of raising awareness and and, and conversation but there are there gets to a point where you say okay but now there needs to be some action taken in a particular direction because uh, every day like you say there's people signing up to mental health services they're perhaps not getting access um, sometimes there's not enough joined up services uh, working together uh, wh- where do you think there still needs to be a bit more progress a bit more focus when it comes to mental health in Malaysia to, to show the possibility of what it could be you know like what a scaled up um, mental health care system could be mm-hmm. so for the next little while I mean we, we are you know as I said you know that public education piece is always there and we always have to think how can we convey information and a uh, more effectively in a way that you know that they can get good quality information but in like but simple you know mm-hmm. <laughs> that they that they can integrate it um easily um then of course you know with with our services um one thing that's always been on my heart which um going back to that idea of i feel very blessed um, and very privileged to receive an education overseas is to bring back that quality of education and offer to our community what what I receive abroad. Like I, I just, you know, that idea, like why should you have to go abroad to receive a good education, to receive good training makes no sense to me. Maybe it just points to like the injustice of it all that like you have to have a certain status in life or you know be blessed enough to receive that and and not everyone is the same position and mm-hmm. so I know and honestly I feel like by by no merit of my own um, had parents who was able to save enough to send me abroad you know I didn't do that and and so there's this idea of disgrace <laughs> unmerited favor. And then coming back and going, okay, let's let's see what can be done. And so Relate has, over the years, developed, I think, a really nice training program. And as I train the interns and train the team, it inspires me to be a better and better clinician. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you, you mentioned before, like, you, you I come across as I'm always wanting to learn and <laughs> be humble. Um, I think it's because, you know, I... I I know I know so many people who know so much more, you know, and so you can see what what it could be mm-hmm. in a way, right? Like your next step forward is like, ooh, it's not that you want to be that person, but you're like, ooh, I, I would like to to know more, you know, to be a little bit closer to that to the, the wealth of knowledge that person has. Yeah. Um so I never feel like, oh, I've got it. <laughs> you know, I can rest now, but wouldn't life be so boring? You know, like you go like, I, I know everything there is in the world. And like, what are you else, you know, what else are you going to do? Um, so training is is very important and, and trying to get Asians to be curious um, and to be inquisitive and to want to learn intrinsically. It's not easy because, you know, our school system doesn't foster that attitude. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I'm trying to do. And of course, you know, we've been starting to bring in a lot of overseas trainers in to to offer quality education and to say like you know this is what 
sort of best practices are and and we want to make it accessible you know it's a little bit tricky because of the uh, the overseas trainers rates so sometimes it's, it is high uh, it is costly for after conversion rate for our, for our local people but as much as possible I think we want to keep pushing that and you know in the long run we, maybe we can think about how to make it more accessible but i think just getting that that widening that base of knowledgeable trained mental health professionals and then raising our own local professionals and experts so that they can then offer the training um and that's i mean that's the eventual model for that um Mm. and then then we're not just going for quantity you know that idea that Psychotherapy, I'm going on this thing that's really important to me. But an idea that psychotherapy is just talking, you know, you just talk, you know, oh my gosh, you know, just talk like it doesn't get you anywhere. And so it, it, it can be so reductionistic on paper to just say, let's just push people out through a, a two year program. And, you know, we put people out there who have this great desire to help, but they don't come out very skilled. And then they feel so discouraged that they are not effective. And if we're doing them a disservice, we're doing clients a disservice. And that to me is just wrong. So we got to, you know, have that idea of continuous education and training and that mm. as a psychotherapist, maintain that curiosity about people, psychology, not think about it as like, oh, I have to upgrade my skill, but think about it as just you're growing as a person. You're yeah. growing as a person to con- how and your skill to how to connect to people and how to understand people and how to how to relate to people and then it's then it's just a simple way forward you know like it never ends i, I think to be fair um i mean in asia and you know even in the west there's such a focus on you know gpa scores and grades and and you're kind of conditioned to think that these things are what really matter and of course they do. I mean, it's not like a dichotomous thing where one matters more than the other. You need the good grades, you need to study hard, you need to develop your knowledge. But like you touched on, you know, people, generally speaking, aren't really guided to see learning as a continuous process. And I think, as you know, people like uh, Professor Bruce Wampold or Professor Gene Watson or Professor Stephen Hayes, um, who have all done trainings for Relate Malaysia, as um, eminent psychologists and trainers um, throughout the world. And they continue even in their um, sort of 60s and 70s and so on to be curious, to have that open mind, to continue to learn. And I think that's one of the inspiring things that uh, makes people gravitate toward that kind of quality training because it's really grounded in that curiosity and that desire to share knowledge as well as to impart it in a sense where it's not just one person kind of transmitting all the time. They're very open to sharing and discussing and reviewing. Um, And I think to instill that sense of continual learning, you know, it's it's a kind of buzzword that we hear all the time, this lifelong learning, but what does that really mean? And like you say, it is is getting to that point where you're you're realizing that, okay, you might know enough, but there's still more to learn. Um, And not in a kind of bad self-critical way. It's just, again, that that open curiosity to know that there's still more to understand. But on the other hand, I mean, not to sound like a therapist myself, but but when you described, uh, you know, your parents sent you abroad and and so that wasn't you that did that. But I think it's obviously important for for yourself and, and other people as well who might have that same thought that, 
you know, people can provide you with the opportunity, like in therapy, you know, you can provide your client with certain opportunities, um, but it's they're the ones who have to take that and make something of the opportunity. So it's a kind of like a two-way thing, really. Um, it doesn't work otherwise unless you put in some effort and, and you really put in the, the hard work as well. So uh, I'll take that. I'll yeah. take that. Okay. Yes. That, 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 that was a, that was some faint praise. Uh, I, I tried to dial it down there. Um, I accept that one. <laughs> so, so, so I think, I mean, it's, as we've discussed so far, the two things that really came through for me is that on a public level, let's say the goal is to make mental health more accessible, um, more affordable, certainly. Um, and also to create greater education, good quality education, so that people can start to learn more about their mental health and how to take care of it and how to support other people as well, for example, within families. And from, say, a professional trainee, novice therapist side of things, it's all about, Mm. you know, creating that curiosity, the continual development, that real desire to be an effective therapist and to to figure out what that means. And again, I think Relate's doing a a great job in helping to facilitate that. As you mentioned, we've got all these... um, prominent psychologists coming to to give trainings to people here in Malaysia and I think it just gives people that exposure to you know here's what's available to you and here's how you can develop yourself which is often missing like you say um, in the training but um, maybe to bring it back to you for for a split second you you have a, a wonderful politician quality of, of evading the, the the personal stuff and moving on so in the moments when you're... Didn't I tell you I'm going to run for office? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should. Um, in those moments when you're uh, not fulfilling one of your, your many professional roles, I think, um, what are you? You're a researcher, educator, therapist, supervisor, trainer. Um, I'm running out of fingers. How do you unwind and recharge the batteries? I mean, it's something that as therapists, we might talk about a lot, the importance of self-care, the importance of... Um, yeah, taking care of yourself, doing stuff you enjoy, unplugging. Is that something that comes easy to you to switch off? Or is that something that you have to sort of be intentional and consciously remind yourself to do? I feel like you set me up in this one. Um, is, is this the hardest question? Like, how do you oh, have yeah, fun? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I was just um, talking to... Um, um, my former supervisor, uh, Richard Kessner, yesterday and, and today, one of my close collaborators, uh, Frederick Philippe, you know, and, and both of them, uh, like myself, uh, uh, motivation researchers. And, and I, was, I was telling them, you know, that I read this article by C.S. Lewis that talked about pleasure and having sort of the full enjoyment of pleasure. And I've, I've filled my life with so many meaningful things, like everything I do, I feel like that's a choice. It's not everything is a, autonomous, not everything is a choice, but I can choose it. I can choose to do it. I can see the, the value in doing it, um, even if it was practical reasons. Um, so I play the violin as a hobby, but I, I notice within myself that I can turn anything that I do for fun into something I do for achievement, you know, that that sense of pleasure and, and, and play doesn't really last that long because I was like, okay, you know, uh, this is where the mastery learning can kind of go wrong because it's like, okay, how can I improve and how can I improve and mm-hmm. how can I improve? So, so yeah, sometimes it, it gets, it gets a bit much for me and I have a dog and that helps 
because he's not achievement oriented at all, little Sherlock. Um, he likes play, and I I do actually watch quite a bit of TV, and it's not intellectual TV. It's just fun TV. What kind of shows do you watch? <laughs> Any recommendations? Oh my gosh, so many. Um, recently, I'm watching Taskmaster. I also love Wonder Woman. <laughs> I mm-hmm. watched Wonder Woman 1984 and a lot of movies, a lot of TV shows. And that's when I don't work. Um, that's not necessarily, and I know you're big on being mindful. That's not necessarily being mindful. Sorry. Uh, so, and, and I was thinking about it. <laughs> I was thinking about it today that, you know, really enjoying and, and appreciating that that sense of pleasure does require you to not focus on it per se, but not be busy doing something else. Mm. And so what I'm trying to do, like, you know, even when I'm talking to the Relate team and, and supervising them, I actually gain a lot of pleasure from that. It's very rewarding and I find, I don't know, I really love the team and I enjoy spending time with them. And just to kind of take a moment to sit back and not to be so busy looking for, okay, and then the next thing and how to fix that problem, but just to enjoy the fact that I'm interacting with, you know, really bright young people who are so motivated and so keen and, and so much heart and passion. And I was like, isn't that great? So that's what I'm trying to do. Hopefully moving forward, uh, you know, Relate Malaysia will be able to push mental health uh, ahead in Malaysia as it's been doing. And, and uh, hopefully we'll see more of the, the, the good work coming through in 2021 and, and beyond. Is there anything in particular you're looking forward to this year? I think why we don't like being quiet and mindful is that we do, you know, our, our feelings, I think, and, and you, we talked about this before, about our feelings bubble to the sur- uh, surface. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just within myself, I, I can sense that when things quiet down, there just is a lot of sadness. You know, there's a lot of sadness Um you know, just personal losses, but sadness that's also resonating with other people's suffering. So I'm looking forward to, and I don't mean this in, in a cheesy way, but I'm looking forward to healing, you know, because mm. we're just carrying it right now so that we can go on the next day and the next day and to keep on going. Because right now we can't afford to stop. And I think that when things quiet down, that's when it's going to hit on. I'm looking forward to letting, um, you know, some of that come out and and being able to process through that and and work through that and and let it go. I think on top of that suffering as well, and like you say, there's been so much personal loss and and challenge throughout the last year. There's also been a a wonderful display of uh, resilience and community and humanity that people have bonded and, and rallied together to help those in need and and, and so, you know, we'll face the kind of worst of the last year, but we've also kind of seen the best of people as well to help each other. And certainly, of course, the people in, who are working in health, the hospitals and the medical centres and the mental health professionals and, and the people who are just helping to keep the, the essential services as well, running the teachers and the supermarket workers and all those people. Um, they've done quite a marvellous job over the past uh, year's challenge and like you say, hopefully mm-hmm. that comes to an end soon and we, we can all begin to sort of heal together. And I, I think maybe that's a positive note of optimism to, mm-hmm. to, to end on. So thank you very much for being on your show. Thank you for inviting me.
And thank you for listening to this special episode of Being Human. Dr. Chua will be back in the interviewer's hot seat very soon as she discusses more insights from the world of mental health with some of the world's leading psychologists and mental health professionals. Till then, thank you so much for joining us and take care of yourselves. Be well and stay safe. Thank you for listening to the Being Human podcast. To find out more about Relate Malaysia's online therapy services, visit us at www.relate.com.my or email us at inquires at relate.com.my. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, remember, we are all more human than we are otherwise. Be kind to yourself and take care.